Welcome to Focal Point. Glad you could join us for another special Christmas edition of Ask Pastor Mike. It's our weekly informal Q&A time with our pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Fabares. figures stand out in the Christmas season. One is Jesus, the Son of God. The other is a jolly toy maker dressed in red, sliding down chimneys and handing out presents. Well, today on Focal Point, we'll sit with Mike Fabares and Executive Director Jay Wharton to discuss how to celebrate Christmas in light of these two figures. If you have a question for Pastor Mike, stick around. I'll share our contact info in just a bit. But right now, let's join Jay as he introduces today's edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Well, thank you, Dave. Pastor Mike, obviously there's a cultural figure that dominates the Christmas season, and that's Santa Claus. We see him everywhere. He's in every department store, Christmas cards, and a lot of places like that. But there is some background to Santa Claus, or Saint Nick, as he's also called. Can you tell us a little bit about that and whether we should avoid or embrace Santa Claus, and how, how do we go about that during this Christmas season? Yeah, this is a real figure we learn about from a 9th century biography by Methodius, he writes about the birth of this person, Nick, Nicholas, uh, who's later called Saint Nicholas, who was a pastor there and uh, born in a city named Patera, which is actually in the Bible, in Acts 21, I think it is. And uh, he becomes the preaching pastor of a city uh, called Myra, which is also mentioned in the Bible. And he uh, is a preacher who becomes known for his generosity. And of course, the story is told you know, about how he does, through generous, anonymous gifts, great and benevolent things. He was lost his wealthy parents early in his life, became this pastor. It's just a, it's a great story, and one that the the modern figure, the mythological figure of Santa Claus is based on. He's a real figure of, of history. At our house, we call him Pastor Nick, and we recognize that that's the reality of the figure in the department stores and on TV. So you obviously have spoken with your kids about Saint Nick, the real Saint Nick, Pastor right. Nick, as you right. call him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are families that still call this figure Santa Claus. Right. How far do we go in sort of debunking these cultural myths with our kids? You know, like sliding down chimneys, yeah. he eats cookies, delivers gifts. How, how should we handle that myth yeah. when non-myth with right. our children? Yeah, well, see, that's the thing, and, and I get a lot of trouble for kind of saying, why would any Ruining parent... Christmas for kids? <laughs> yeah, people think I'm ruining <laughs> Christmas by saying, why would you ever you know, follow along with a cultural myth about something that's based on such an important historical figure uh, who becomes a great model of our Christianity and benevolence and generosity. Why would I now, you know, make a mythic character out of that and really have my kids believe it? And some parents are so, you know, nostalgic about their own childhood, and because they believe that, they're going to teach their kids this. Well, it's just not in my makeup and constitution to do that kind of thing. So I've never you know, lied to my kids about, you know, some fat guy in a sled and bringing gifts down a chimney. We've always talked about the reason that white and red clad man in the store is there is because that is a cultural icon that grew up from a real pastor 
name Pastor Nick, and we tell the story, and we let them understand who he is, and uh, they make the connection, and and they understand, you know, this. It's a mythical elaboration of something historic. So I've always taught my kid the historic reality, and they understand the culture, and I don't lie to my kids about people coming down our, our chimney. So, Pastor Mike, maybe you can talk through how to help parents who have maybe perpetuated the myth of Santa Claus and would like to get back to something a little more in Christian history that makes sense for St. Nick. How would you maybe counsel or direct or lead somebody who's wanting to do that in their family? Yeah, well, you know, and again, I don't know how many people are going to actually take my cue on this. It seems that people are militant about their view of the mythical Santa Claus. But yeah, if you're ready to say, hey, let's ditch that and let's learn about the real character, and at least we can have some connection in the holiday and the culture we have regarding Santa Claus and, and the real St. Nicholas, then great. Just tell your kids the truth. Say, hey, you know, there is no uh, mythical Santa Claus that slides down the chimney, but let me tell you about the reason our culture has that story, and that mythical story. And one of the reasons I think it's a good thing for parents to, to ditch is because I always want to be the truth bearer to my children. Doesn't mean I tell my kids everything that I know, right? There's certain things that maybe I'll tell them when they're older, but I'm never going to lie to my kids and misdirect my children. Uh, I want to be the one they can go to knowing that what I'm telling them is true. Talk about the resurrection of Christ. I don't want them to say, well, is that a myth too? Were you lying to me about that? Did Christ really not come from you know heaven and be born in Bethlehem? I, I want them to know that mom and dad are going to speak the truth to my kids. And I don't care how nostalgic my childhood was, I'm never going to cash in my position as a parent being a truth teller to my children for some nostalgic moment that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside about my childhood. So I'd say today, yeah, parent, I mean, if you're gutsy enough to listen to what I'm saying right now, uh, yeah, ditch the the Santa Claus myth and tell your kids uh, about the, the point of it. And instead of just saying, well, let's just hate on Santa Claus, you know, it's all about Christ. It is about Christ. I get that. But here's a guy that was about Christ. His name was Pastor Nick in Myra of what's now modern-day Turkey, and he was a great godly pastor who stood up for the right things. And he was a gift giver, a generous man. Correct. You don't scrap the whole gift-giving no, idea, of, course idea not. of Christmas either. No, of course not. And when Paul starts talking about gifts that the Corinthians were going to give and the Macedonians Christians were giving to the Jerusalem Christians, he says in the middle of that whole thing, well, let's stop and thank God for his indescribable gift. And all we're doing is working backwards from that logic. We start at Christmas time thinking about God's indescribable gift, which is Christ, and then we get to gift-giving. Nothing wrong with that. And because Pastor Nick, in the 3rd and 4th century, was able to give because he had resources to give, we want to give. And we want to give like he gave because we know God has given, and he's a generous God with his provision. So, yeah, I'm not against any of those things, and I can celebrate Christmas with a reminder of generosity and gift-giving, and I can even use the historic Pastor Nick, as I call him, St. Nicholas, if you'd like to call him that, as a catalyst for doing that. That could even be used with neighbors, co-workers. You could lead in with, hey, let me tell you a little bit about the historical St. Nick. Sure. Maybe make it a more of an evangelical yeah. approach. No, it can be, definitely. You know, most people in America today have no clue that Santa Claus isn't just a creation of the marketing department of Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> they don't know there was a genuine pastor that you know, has a biography written about him very early on in the church that speaks of this man's incredible life and the things that he did to stand for what is true. You know, even at the Council of Nicaea, I mean, you can get pretty deep into the history of the church and how even St. Nicholas there was standing up for the truth 
of the divinity of Christ and, and, and for orthodox biblical truth. You know, he is a hero to the Church in many ways, and uh, that he shows up in our cultural practices in Christmas in a distorted mythical fashion, not a bad thing for us at least to be able to sort through for our families and our kids and to find the truth of that, the historical nugget in that, and be able to exploit that in a way that allows our kids to celebrate the Incarnation in an even more rich way. So for us, you're not going to find, you know, Santa Claus, you know, cutouts on our lawn or anything, but you walk into our house at Christmas time, you might find out on the coffee table uh, a book on St. Nicholas of Myra. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. I trust this conversation has helped some parents and families, and we're going to hear a little bit more about St. Nick in a sermon that you gave called, What's the Deal with St. Nicholas? Well, it's that time of year again. Here we are, Christmas parties, Christmas gifts, Christmas shopping, Christmas bills, and, uh, and that fat guy in the red suit. Now, um, devout Christians throughout the years have uh, struggled with what to do with this ubiquitous bearded fella who keeps pressing his way into December, and um, there's been basically three options for folks. The first option, I suppose, for a lot of folks is to try and expel him. We got to get this, you know, he does his, you need to get him out. They write books about him. They produce videos, the evils of Santa Claus, and off he goes, at least from their lives. You get another group of devout Christians that just want to ignore the thing altogether. They ignore it. They don't, they don't decorate with him, and they don't acknowledge it. They just try to look the other way, which is really hard to ignore with his ever-presence in our society. And then I found a new trend, too. There is a group that just likes to uh, incorporate him as is into our celebration of the Incarnation. I was at a Christian bookstore not long ago and saw the traditional nativity set with Joseph and Mary and baby, and stuck between the shepherds was uh, the red-suited bearded fat guy. <laughs> I am not kidding, with his little furry hat in hand. Well, like many things in our culture, Santa Claus, the Santa Claus figure is a conglomeration of several ideas and concepts, kind of a, a mosaic of sorts, a conflation of, of fable and history and legend, and it's just, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a weird reality for 21st century people. So let's get to know the real Saint Nick. Take your Bibles, may sound like an odd way to start, to that chapter on Santa Claus, uh, Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, Paul is in the middle of his third missionary journey. He's going all over the place in Asia Minor, and he had just spent three years in Ephesus. He spent more time in Ephesus than any other city that he visited, made it his base of operations for a while. And as he tore himself away from the church that he loved so dearly in Ephesus, he says, we put out to sea and we sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there, circle this now, Patera. Now this is the mid-first century. Jot that down, Patera, if you would. This is where the figure from which Santa Claus and the whole thing grew up. This is where the real guy lived. He was born in the city of Patera, and Paul had visited there. And apparently, there had been some Christian witness that had made its way to there, perhaps even on one of Paul's stops at this port city. And like most port cities where commerce went in and out through that port, it was a very wealthy city, and it was filled with a lot of wealthy citizens. And these wealthy citizens, and we don't know their names, had a little boy named Nicholas. And they were devout Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And they began in the middle of the third century when he was born, 200 years after Paul had left this little city, 
to read about the truth of Jesus Christ and to read the Holy Scriptures. And Nicholas just ate it up. A smart, intelligent, teachable little boy who grew up with devout parents. Unfortunately, by the time he was nine years old, his parents had died. We're not sure why, but he ends up being raised uh, at 10 years old and after by his uh, uncle. And his uncle continues the process, who apparently also attended the church at Patera and trained him in the teachings of Christ. And he found himself in an interesting situation because he was about to be emancipated as a young man from his uncle's tutelage, and he was about to inherit his wealthy parents' estate. And he was going to be a very rich young man as he went out into the world on his own. And he made a commitment and a vow to God, and he said, God, I want to use my wealth and I want to use my mind, because people were praising him for his sharp mind, I want to use them for the glory of God. And it wouldn't be long until that vow was tested. He had a friend, a friend of the family apparently, who was a merchant in Patera. Somehow, this family in Patera had lost their entire source of income and all of their wealth, and probably related to the seafaring commerce, they probably lost their ship and all their money. And worse yet, the father, as the story goes, was in a dilemma because he had three daughters and no son-in-laws, and his oldest daughter was of marrying age, but she didn't have a dowry, which in that day, you had to have a dowry to marry off your daughters, and he had none. Now, I know you remember Artemis of the Ephesians, the Greek goddess. It was a very big stronghold in Lycia in the southern part of Asia Minor. There were temples and outposts throughout Asia Minor where if you couldn't make it any other way, it was a huge industry uh, to get involved in what was called temple prostitution. And so as the story goes, the father was at the end of his rope fearing and the townsmen fearing there was no other hope for this man except for his daughters to go the way of many young ladies in Asia Minor in the third century into temple prostitution. So Nicholas, before God, said, God, I told you I want to use my resources for the glory of God. Young man, not married, no kids. He goes under the cover of darkness at night and decides to bring an anonymous bag of gold, as the story goes, and secretly slip it into the home of this merchant in Patera who was destitute with no money for a dowry for his daughter. And he does. Here was the guy who loved God didn't love things, and was willing when someone was in dire need to give generously from his own wealth to spare them from some harm or disaster. And there are many other stories that surround young Christian Nick that uh, may or may not be part of the real story, but that one has stuck as a real core example early in his life of being a follower, a generous sacrificial giver as well, who reflects the love and sacrifice of Christ. Now, his reputation went before him and it followed him. And I mean, certainly everyone spoke well of him. Well, one day he is traveling. Now, I don't know why he's there. No one seems to know why he's there, but he is some, for some reason in the city of Myra. There was another vibrant church in Myra and they were without a pastor. And so here comes this guy that knows theology, knows the scripture. He can read and write. He's articulate. He's intelligent. And we know he's a generous, sacrificial Christian. So they say to him, and they press upon him in the city of Myra, hey, Nick, would you be our pastor? And as some biographers say, he reluctantly accepts and he becomes the pastor of Myra. And, and it's hard to sort out some of the legend from the fact, but we know he was renowned. As a matter of fact, within 200 years, they were beginning to name churches after Pastor Nicholas of Myra. But here's all I'm saying. Underneath the, the fable and the myth is the story I just told you of a real historical guy that, by the way, is worth our attention. It's worth our attention because he's a pretty good Christian guy. Matter of fact, he's the kind of guy that we'd like to model our lives after, that when Paul said, he said, follow me as I follow Christ, 
He also made other statements. Let me show you one. Go to Philippians chapter 3 real quick. Paul says, look at me, I'm not perfect, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this. I, haven't, I don't perfectly know Christ. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not perfected yet. I haven't been made perfect. But, drop down to verse 17. After all this explanation of him driving forward in the Christian life, he says, join with others in following. I know this sounds amazingly arrogant to you. My example. Take a look at the next phrase. Don't miss this. Underline this. And brothers... Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. All I'm suggesting is that we can take note of this guy and maybe redeem something of this guy so that when you hear of him or you see of this, this comical caricature of him at the mall, think about, celebrate, and even tell you the story of a pastor who lived the kind of life that I'd like to live. And for our family and for you today, I'm just going to pass along this. There are six words that we think really summarize the gist of St. Nicholas's or Pastor Nicholas's life, as I like to call him. First two words. This may come as a surprise because I know he's evolved into this, you know, happy, jolly guy. But the first two words may surprise you, but you've just heard his story, so maybe it won't be so much of a surprise. Ready? The first two words are hard-nosed, hard-nosed. Because in the pulpit, the guy was hard-nosed. His doctrine was uncompromised. You know, that's godly. I want to say to my kids, be like Pastor Nick. And I want to say that, first of all, because he was unflinching and unswerving and resolute in sound doctrine. Number two, letter B. He was, second two words, he was soft-hearted. Soft-hearted. I mean, if you read the stories, and there are several, that have carried on for many years about him seeing needs and being stirred in his heart. A great compassion. That's what I mean by soft-hearted. Great compassion. Jesus had it. Pastor Nick had it. And I hope you're developing it in your life. It's certainly the goal in mine. Letter C. I know this is the most obvious because any study of Pastor Nicholas is going to turn this up. He was certainly open-handed, open-handed. And by that I mean, put this next to it, I mean extreme generosity. The guy was amazing. And I know immediately when we talk about this, people say, well, you know, I'd give more if I had more. He, ha he had it. I, I don't have it. Let's think about that for a second. Do you know that when Nicholas gave money, he gave it in a whole different setting than you and I give money? right? I'm talking about things like he had no 401k, you know, portfolio for retirement. He had no pension. He had no health insurance. He had no life insurance. When he took a bag of gold and he gave it to somebody, that was a chunk of his security that he gave away. He now had to say, I'm trusting God because I don't have that anymore. This was a big sacrifice for someone. And by the way, here's the thing about God. When people give, they seem to, for some reason, and I'll show you the reason. Matter of fact, let's turn to the reason. Second Corinthians chapter 9, they tend to stay wealthy. <laughs> How is that? I mean, here was a guy giving away large sums of money, and he seemed to always be able to give away large sums of money. How does that work? Well, some of you can testify to it. I'd give more money if I had more money. Well, here's the thing. Maybe you don't have more money because you don't give any money. Now, this is not some kind of, of command here or some kind of restriction. Each man, verse 7, should give whatever he's decided to give in his heart. It's between you and God. For God, by the way, loves a cheerful giver. But here's the punchline. Are you ready? Here's the point. I want my kids to grow up to be like Pastor Nick because this is the kind of guy he was. God is able, and he was throughout Nick's life, to make all grace abound to you, whether it's money, resources, time, energy, whatever it might be, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you may get your yacht in the harbor. That's not what it's about. Here's the punchline that you will abound in every good work. Here's a guy in his teens said, God, I just want to be used for the glory of God. Use my money, use my mind, use my life. 
And God said, great. And he started giving large sums of money, his security way. And he said, God, I'm going to have to trust you because I can't trust that. Which, by the way, 1 Timothy 6 is, is the crux of the problem. Who do you trust or what do you trust? Do you put your trust in riches? You shouldn't. You all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, okay? He gave his son at great personal sacrifice to meet a need. And whenever you think of John 3.16, I want you to think of 1 John 3.16. This is where our hearts ought to go. I want to give as a reflection of Christ's giving to me. And that's the point of Nicholas. He was tremendously generous because he understood something of the love of God. John 3.16, we know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, 1 John 3.16 says, and this is how we know what love is. Now, here's the summary of John 3.16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And it goes from theoretical now and theological to personal and practical. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, I know that some people are good at those really lofty statements like that. Oh, absolutely. I'd lay down my life for, for brothers. Well, here comes really the test of that. I doubt you're going to have to die for somebody this week. Take a look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no, here's our word, pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? What's the point? You may not have an opportunity to die for your brothers and sisters in Christ this week, but I'll bet you'll have the opportunity to give them something because there's some need that you see that you can meet. You want to teach your kids the real essence of St. Nicholas? Right Here it is. We're going to be hard-nosed about truth. We're going to be soft-hearted about needs, and we're going to be open-handed in being extremely generous. You do that, you will have redeemed the kernel of truth that lies beneath the fables of the white robes, the fat, and the beard, right? Here is the truth. Godliness lived out in real time. Take note of them, Paul said. Note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Let's pray. God, how important it is for us to seek to reflect the essence of Christmas, as Paul went on to say to the Corinthians, and this indescribable gift that you've given us in your Son, critical for us to reflect that in our daily lives. And I know we give obligatory gifts at Christmas many times, co-workers or family members, but I pray it go from tradition and obligation to heartfelt, extreme generosity. And perhaps like St. Nicholas, who was so good at this, to do it even anonymously. How great for a set of anonymous, generous gifts to be floating back and forth among the people of God, meeting real needs here in our church. Unlike the Pharisees that wanted to blow trumpets when they gave things away, to give, as the scripture says, in secret, that our Heavenly Father who sees in secret may reward us and refill the tank so we can keep on doing it. Oh God, let us reflect this kind of character. Thanks so much for Pastor Nicholas. We look forward to meeting him one day. Help us to teach our kids about this good man who lived a Christian life the way it ought to be lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's the true portrait of the man we call Santa Claus. You're listening to Focal Point and an abbreviated message from Mike Fabares called, What's the Deal with St. Nicholas? Now to hear the full unedited version, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, if you're looking for a gift for the theology lover in your life, then make sure to request your copy of The Essential Scriptures by Kevin Zuber. From the literal and trustworthy New American Standard Bible, you'll learn the biblical underpinnings for every doctrine, organized around the primary headings of systematic theology in this helpful reference book. We'll send you a copy of The Essential Scriptures when you give a special year-end gift to support Focal Point today. 
Online, go to focalpointradio.org or speak with one of our friendly phone reps at 888-320-5885. You can also write and request the book by sending a check to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And if you're moved to send a gift that keeps on giving, become a Focal Point partner today. By committing to an automated monthly gift, you'll continually refresh others through this program. Sign up to be a Focal Point partner online at focalpointradio.org. But even if you can't send a financial gift today, we still want to hear from you. When you reach out and let us know you're listening, we'll send you a free booklet called From Creation to Bethlehem. Get your free copy by calling 888 888- Three two zero five eight eight five, or by going to focalpointradio.org. And don't forget to submit any questions you might have to Ask Pastor Mike. Go to focalpointradio.org slash connect. There you can also comment and continue this conversation by linking into our Facebook and Twitter communities. Well, I'm Dave Drewey. Glad to have you with us. And be sure to tune in again next time as we continue exploring the depths of Scripture right here on Focal Point. program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.